1983. Ring any bells? For the majority of you, probably not. You'll probably remember December 7th, 1941, or September 11th, 2001. However, October 23rd, 1983 is just as significant in our country's history, as well as our cores. Many argue it's the day the War on Terror truly began. It was a Sunday morning. And just like many Sundays, the Marines were enjoying a couple extra hours of sleep during their deployment to Beirut, Lebanon. Dave Medeiros was a private first class who had just finished up his motor transport course. His final test was scheduled for Monday. I woke up at 6 a.m. on Sunday morning, and we were in a GP tent sleeping on cots, and I looked around, and I was like, man, all these guys are still sleeping. And probably for one of the first times in my life, I chose to go back to sleep versus eat, which is a rare occasion. I don't do that often. HM3 Mark Hakala was serving as a platoon hospital corpsman with Bravo Company, positioned on the southern end of the airport. I hadn't been to sleep for terribly long, and so I was pretty down and out. Major Bob Jordan was the Marine spokesman for the 24th Marine Amphibious Unit. He was with his crew in these fire truck bays not far from the BLT headquarters. About six o'clock I woke up at my normal time. I could see the sun shining through the bullet holes in the corrugated door of the fire bay door where we slept. So I rolled away from the door and, and pulled my uh, Snoopy blanket up over me to catch a few more winks. Greetings to the families of Battalion Landing Team 1-8. Lieutenant Colonel Larry Gerlock, the commanding officer of 1-8, was in the BLT headquarters. It was both his command post and his barracks. Around 6.20 a.m., everything changed. P-51 
PFC Medeiros was no longer sleeping under a tent. Petty Officer Hakala and Major Jordan were now wide awake. Colonel Gerlach was no longer in the BLT building. What was the largest non-nuclear explosion on the planet had just wiped the building out. A 12,000 pound explosion that would ring for decades. America lost 241 Marines, sailors, and soldiers in the rubble that day. Terrorists finally landed a powerful hit. That's their playbook. They built their playbook over time. And, and uh, I would call it like a cult. A cult who is following a, an ideology, and they're building their playbook based on how we respond to certain things. And... I mean, they're, they're taking notes. When the Marines pulled out in 1984, Osama bin Laden and many others were watching. They had tested us militarily. They had tested us spiritually. They had tested us politically. America's defensive playbook was rewritten, but the punches kept rolling. Kobar Towers in Saudi Arabia, USS Cole in Yemen, 9-11. The prevent defense prevents nothing. And if that's the posture we want to take in the United States, okay, I'd like to ask the people that think that way to come down to Jacksonville and stand there next to a mother who lost one of their kids in Beirut and explain to her how we should take a preventative posture. And that armed attack against the United States of America. With September 11th, the extremist agenda had an exclamation point, and the U.S. launched combat operations in what is now known as the Global War on Terror. But Beirut veterans say it should have been declared more than two decades ago, with an event that now simply hangs in the distant backdrop of time, in the United States, a lot of times we fall asleep. They do something and they let it die out, you know, and we're all excited about, you know, the price of gasoline or, or, or you know, whatever the topic of the day is. And we totally lose sight of, of an issue that really has a lot of substance to it. I think many of us wonder, had we taken a firm stance and a firm response at that time, all these other attacks that took place in the coming decades, would they have been tried? Would they have been attempted? All of the Beirut veterans we interviewed live by a common motto. Our first duty is to remember. Lieutenant Colonel Gerlach still remembers. He's still in a wheelchair because of it. He doesn't remember the blast itself. He attributes that lost memory to the large piece of concrete they had to remove from his head after he was blown out of the BLT building. But he remembers his fellow Marines and sailors from that day. And he says, the fight is still on. And I hate war. But by damn, uh, if, if we don't take a stand, uh, just imagine what would have happened in uh, World War II and how that would have turned out in all the other wars that, uh, that have gone on. Major Jordan says victory is in the memories veterans leave behind. They were sailors and marines. We stood against tyranny. We stood against terror. And we have to remember make the people who, who, who wish us harm, they need to know that we were not defeated in Beirut. We're still here. And our sons and our daughters, and our grandsons and our granddaughters, 
will be told the story and they will be here for generations in the future and that's the hope of America. They came in peace and now they walk on peaceful shores. Hey everybody, I'm Doc and welcome back to another edition of Doc's Boneyard. Hey listen, we're going to pay a special tribute to a uh, an event that happened 39 years ago today. And after these messages, I'll be back to tell you all about it. Hey everybody, it's Doc from Doc's Boneyard. Hey listen, mental health is no joke and the struggle is real. I'm joining forces with Roman Rozell, a veteran of U.S. Army Special Forces to help promote mental health awareness. To quote Roman, I wrestle to save lives, including my own. Proceeds from this shirt go to benefit the Special Forces Association Chapter 38, who help many families in their invisible wound struggle. Now you can get yours today by going to collarandelbowbrand.com. That's collarandelbowbrand.com. Just type in the word Roman, R-O-M-A-N, in the search tab. I'm proud to support Roman, and I have this shirt, and I wear mine proudly. You can also find the link at the Boneyard 2021 on Facebook. All right, sports fans, I'm back. Hey, not too long ago, I was in Jacksonville, North Carolina, and I stopped into a military surplus store called Saigon Sam's, and I got a chance to uh, kind of shoot the bull with the uh, with the owner, and I found out that he was a veteran of the uh, Marine Corps barracks bombing back in 1983 and you know we struck up a dialogue and you know we started swapping stories about our military career and uh he basically told me that you know this year would be the uh 39th anniversary of that tragic day in marine corps history so what i wanted to do this week is i wanted to give a special shout out to the united states marine corps and the veterans and survivors of that tragic day in 1983 so I started out the podcast with a, uh, a short six-minute interview that was uh, done after, I believe it was the uh, 20th anniversary. And even then, 20 years later or so, uh, yeah, the emotions were just as raw and the, uh, the event was just as real as it happened yesterday. So uh, what I'm going to do is kind of throw out a little uh, chronology for uh, you know, those of those of us who were around back then and kind of really didn't understand what was happening, uh, other than the fact that, you know, it was breaking a breaking news story, and really then there wasn't a lot of coverage done. So basically, here's uh, here's the lowdown in the uh, Marine Corps poop on what happened. Uh, it was after 6 o'clock in the morning on October 23rd, 1983, when a uh, dump truck was packed with about 12,000 pounds of explosives. That's about 5,400 kilograms. And it crashed through the front gate of the U.S. Marine Barracks in Beirut. Uh, the detonation ripped a four-story building from its foundation and the barracks imploded in a matter of seconds. 240 Marines and sailors killed in the explosion represent the largest loss of life in a single day for the Marine Corps since the Battle of Iwo Jima in 1945. Now, among the casualties that day were uh, 220 Marines, 18 sailors, and three U.S. Army soldiers, as a matter of fact. 
Now, that wasn't the only attack that day. Uh, minutes later, a second suicide bomber struck the nine-story Drekhar building a few kilometers away where a French contingent was stationed. Uh, 55 paratroopers from the 1st Par Parachute Chasseur Regiment and three paratroopers of the 9th Parachute Chasseur Regiment were also killed along with 15, in or 15 injured. Now, to all my uh, French-speaking uh, veterans out there, I hope I didn't screw up that name too bad, but, you know, I don't speak French. Prior to the Marine Barracks bombing on uh, October 23rd in 83, on April 18th, 1983, a car bomb destroyed the U.S. Embassy in West Beirut, killing dozens of Americans... Dozens of American Forest Service workers and Lebanese civilians. And prior to the attacks, the U.S. Navy sent an element from the newly formed SEAL Team 6 to do a security survey and passed on uh, recommendations like hardened vehicle barriers and the Marines to have locked and loaded weapons at all times as per the rules of engagement. But at the time, they were not allowed to be loaded. Now, these recommendations were sent up the Navy chain of command all the way up to the uh, Chief of Naval Operations. And, of course, you know, one branch doesn't talk to the other, so, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding, I guess. So, where in the hell is Lebanon to begin with? Well, it's basically on the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea, and it consists of a narrow strip of territory, and it's one of the world's smallest sovereign states. Uh, the capital is Beirut, and it borders Syria to the east and Israel to the south. Alright, I can see hands waving. The obvious question is, what in the hell were we doing there in the first place? Alright, here's a little background in the uh, history of the Lebanese Civil War, so to speak. Uh, it basically lasted from 1975 to 1990. And uh, what basically happened is, uh, in Lebanon, emanating from the deterioration of the Lebanese state, in a coalescence of militias that provided security where the state could not, and uh, these militias formed largely among communal lines. Uh, there was the Lebanese Front. There was the Lebanese National Movement. And they were basically a coalition, coalition of secular leftists and uh, Sunni Muslims sympathetic to Arab nationals. And there was the PLO, the ominous Palestine Liberation Organization, which represented Lebanon's largest Palestinian refugee population. And, you know, there were other, other nations involved in the Civil War, like uh, Syria, Israel, and uh, splinter contingents of the uh, Lebanese army. So, for whatever political reasons at the time, uh, Ronald Reagan decided that we needed to intervene. And along with Casper uh, Cap Weinberger, uh, the two of them, I guess, cooked up a plan and uh, set the ball in motion. So, I guess the U.S. spearheaded the resolution, or spearheaded the effort to end the, uh, the violence in Lebanon by uh, proposing the evacuation of PLO fighters from Beirut. So, beginning on August 25th of that year, a uh, contingent of U.S. Marines, French, and Italian forces evacuated more than 6,000 PLO members over the course of 17 days. And President Reagan again ordered the 32nd Marine Amphibious Unit, or MAU, to Beirut as part of that task force. On September 29th, the 32nd 
Marine Amphibious Unit landed off the coast of Lebanon and occupied positions around the Beirut International Airport. Now, as time went on, the uh, 24th Marine Amphibious Unit expanded the mission of presence during their deployment to Beirut. To increase visibility, the Marines conducted motorized and foot patrols throughout the city. And during this period, the 24th also began specialized training for members of the Lebanese Armed Forces, or LAF. Surprisingly, the biggest threat to the Marines during this deployment actually came from the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF. And uh, the, Israeli, the Israeli troops were occasionally ambushed by PLO forces, which the Israelis suspected of hiding within the Marine area of operations. Uh, in response, Israelis probed Marine positions that often fired in the Marines' AO, or area of operation, while engaging PLO fighters. And the confrontation between the Marines and IDF became increasingly common during this deployment and nearly resulted in an exchange of fire. And to avoid misunderstandings, or future misunderstandings, further misunderstandings, hell, I can't read my own writing, diplomatic no negotiations between Israelis and Americans resulted in better communication and the hard definition of respective military lines. But I will say this, apparently somebody did not get the memo. And... Hezbollah actually took partial responsibility for the attacks. Now, I believe one of the hallmarks of the United States Marine Corps is they go where they're told and they do the job that they're trained to do. They don't ask questions. They go in and, if needed, kick ass and take names. Now, it's important to remember that these Marines served with honor and distinction in a place that, well, they probably didn't need to be in the first place, but, you know, that's a political discussion for another time. Uh, the really sad part of it is, is if there's any part that's sadder, but uh, U.S. forces withdrew from Lebanon in February of 84. What's that say about our American commitment overseas? When it gets too tough, the bodies start coming back in flag-draped coffins, we cut and run. Now, I don't know if we should have been there in the first place. That's not for me to say. But if we're going to commit forces, leave them in place, accomplish the mission. Don't cut and run with your tail between your legs. And this is just my personal opinion, but I feel that the danger of the, uh, the cut and run failed U.S foreign policy, so to speak, is uh, I believe it gives a an indication to our enemies out there that, you know, we don't have the backbone to fight. You know, that the USA is all talk and no action. And I do believe that it uh, further fans the fire of violence against, you know, our, our foreign interests, so to speak. You know, it, it lets our enemies know that, hey, you know, it's okay to do what the hell you want because there's not going to be any repercussions. Now, when these attacks happened, I was about 15 years old and really didn't understand the gravity of the situation, uh, you know, because I was a teenager. But uh, moving on to present day, uh, just a few months ago, I was in Jacksonville by the uh, Marine Corps base at... Uh, the New River Air Station there, Marine Corps Air Station at uh, New River in Jacksonville, 
North Carolina, and I was at that memorial for the Marines that were killed in Lebanon. And I got to tell you, it was powerful. Uh, I took some great, great footage, which I'm in the process of turning into a uh, documentary for my YouTube channel. But it's a, a very moving experience. Uh, I would equate it to uh, probably going to the wall in Washington, D.C. On, uh, on the mall there where you know, they have all the uh, national memorials. So uh, if you are in the Jacksonville, North Carolina area and you are a Marine Corps historian or hardcore patriot like myself, I encourage you to go down and check out that memorial. Let those Marines, sailors, know that their sacrifice wasn't in vain. That they are remembered and that their legacy carries on. You know, I myself was not a Marine. I, I chose the Army. But uh, when the shit hits the fan, you know, we are of one. Doesn't matter what uniform you wear or what military affiliation you have. We are all one. We are all servants of a greater good, so to speak. So again, I highly encourage you to go down to the uh, memorial there in Jacksonville, North Carolina and pay your respects. And again, I'm going to throw out a uh, shameless plug and shout out to Sam's Military Surplus at 1970 Wilmington Highway in Jacksonville. Uh, he's basically right across the street from uh, New River. Uh, you can't miss him. Uh, go in there and maybe swap some stories and you know thank him for his service. Let him know that, you know, his service matters. You know, during my conversation with the owner of Saigon Sam's, uh, he's still suffering. He still suffers from his experience 39 years ago. Uh, you know, we were swapping stories about, you know, PTSD and, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, there's a, a lot of guys out there that have some serious issues with uh, what their experiences in, in Beirut, Lebanon. And it's up to us to encourage them that, you know, help is available. That there is nothing wrong with seeking help. You know, uh, I'm not going to mention his name for obvious reasons, but uh, I'm just going to call him Jarhead. Well, Jarhead, you know, says he still has problems dealing with public, you know, with, with crowds. He still has problems with Fourth of July, obviously, with loud, sudden noises. You know, those types of things. So, uh, these guys are still suffering. You know, and a lot of them suffer in silence. So maybe if uh, we can help them break the silence, then we've done our job. As always, I'd like to thank you for tuning in. And I'm going to use that catchphrase I use every podcast to listen to me ramble incessantly. If you have any questions, comments, or hell, just general feedback or want to drop me a line, Hit me up at TheBoneYard2021 at Yahoo.com. That's TheBoneYard2021 at Yahoo.com. Also, you can check out my Facebook page, The TheBoneYard2021 on Facebook. Uh, that has updates about uh, you know, special projects I'm working on. Also, uh, updates about the show and uh, you know the, those types of things. So, uh, just remember, it's not the fat, the meat, the gristle. It's just the bare bones. I'll see you next time, folks.